You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. And you can be seated. Good morning to the chapel that's watching today. Good morning to those online. Good morning to those who are live and in person and still awake this morning as well. Habakkuk asks a question that we probably need to ask ourselves. Um, how does God fit into everything that's happening in our world? Uh, Habakkuk's asking that question. We will ask that question today. Why does God allow bad things to happen? If he's really that good and really that all-powerful, why are there evil things in our world today? Now, let me warn you at the very beginning of the sermon, I'm not going to answer that question philosophically or theoretically. I do want us to look at that question biblically together today. To see what God's word says to us. And I've said this to you before. I assume that's why you come to church. To hear from God. To see what God says about a certain subject. A certain situation. So understand this. Habakkuk loves God. And trusts God. And and knows God. But he's trying to struggle. Or he's struggling with this this question. He's He's struggling to understand this question. Why has the world gone crazy? Uh, for Habakkuk in particular, he was asking, why has my nation gone crazy? A lot of great minds, greater than mine, which are quite a few minds, have tried to answer that question philosophically. If God is good, why is there evil? That question has been answered, or at least an attempt at that answer, for many, many generations. But I would say to you today, you will never really satisfactorily, satisfactorily have an answer to that question until you know God, love God, and trust God. Why? Because questions are best answered through relationship. A relationship with God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's get to Habakkuk together. There really is a book by that name, if you weren't here last week. It's in the, almost the very end of the Old Testament, five books from the end. It, you'll find it right in between Nahum and Zephaniah. So let me give you about 15 or 20 minutes to find that book real quick. It's about three pages long. It's just three chapters. Give you a few moments to find it in your copy of God's Word. Or if you have your smartphone with you today or a device with you today, let's go to Habakkuk. We'll be in chapter 1 again today. If you weren't here last Sunday or you've forgotten where you were last Sunday I forgot what I talked about last Sunday let me catch you up very quickly this will be a really quick recap of chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 is Habakkuk complaining he's ranting if you will about how crazy his nation is and you know God if you're if you're for us how come it seems like you're always against us and then verses 5 through 11 of that same chapter God answers God steps up and answers Habakkuk's rant answers Habakkuk's complaint And then Habakkuk starts arriving at an answer, maybe even in his own heart in verse 12. That's where we are going to pick up this morning. We stopped at verse 11 last week, Habakkuk chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 12 today. This is Habakkuk speaking to God. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them. Let me help you with that pronoun. The them refers back to the Chaldeans in verse 6. The Chaldeans were a wicked nation who were coming to conquer Israel. They are coming. They will conquer Israel. And so Habakkuk is speaking of them. O Lord, you have ordained the Chaldeans as a judgment. And you, O rock, you have established them, the Chaldeans, for reproof. 
Let's stop real quick. Remember, Habakkuk is trying to reconcile a good God, a mighty God, a powerful God with all the terrible situations around him. Maybe you have tried to make that same reconciliation these past seven months. God, if you're so good and you're so powerful, why are we in this situation, this present situation? Habakkuk does something that's very wise right here. In fact, we would be wise to do the same. He steps back from the problem. He he steps back, steps, steps away from the problem, and he does a very smart thing. You might want to write this down, or at least consider this with me. He begins to go by what he knows. And so instead of a lot of time spent on what you don't know, go to what you do know. You can spend, let me just tell you from someone who's lived a few years, at least more than the average attender in the 10 o'clock. Let me just tell you, there's a lot of things you don't know. And as I get older, I realize there's more and more things I don't know. I thought I was pretty smart when I was 19. And all of a sudden, when I got into my 30s, I'm like, I don't, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Got into my 40s, like, man, I don't know anything. Got into my 50s, and I'm like, I'm, I don't know a thing that's happening in this world. I don't understand anything. And I think sometimes if you just live your life based on what you don't know, you'll probably go crazy. So instead of a lot of time spent on what you don't know, go to what you do know. This is great thinking by Habakkuk. This is why he begins to just call out the different attributes of God. You see, when you're confused by what's going on in the world and when your mind is, is boggled by crazy events in a nation, there is nothing more wonderful than just to stand on solid ground. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's going to set himself on some solid ground. Uh, there's probably some people here that love math. You are mathematically minded. Um, I'm not one of you. I, I struggle with, with math. Remember when America used to make coins last year in 2019? You could go get some coins. Uh, you put two coins in my hand. I can add those two coins up pretty well, like my simple math. Put three coins in my hand, and I start to sweat. Four coins in my hand, and I'm begging the Lord for mercy. I'm just not very good at math at all, but I do know this about math. If all of your variables in a math problem are unknown, you won't solve that problem. You have to establish the known variables to understand the unknown. This is Habakkuk's method of thinking. Instead of a lot of time spent on what you don't know, go to what you do know. So this morning, let me give you five things from this passage on how to live your life when there's evil, difficult, crazy things happening all around you. Biblically, let's see these five things that Habakkuk does, and we would be wise to repeat what he does. Here's the first thing. Remember God's character. Habakkuk steps back from the problem, steps back from the crazy, and starts considering the character of God, of who God is, who he claims to be, his attributes, how Habakkuk knows God. Let me give you this little sub-statement here. You will gravitate toward one of two things, either what you experience or the character of God. You're going to gravitate toward one of those two things in your life, either your experience, meaning your feelings, your views on things, your circumstances, your emotions. You either will build your life on what you experience or you'll build your life on the absolute bedrock of the character of God. In fact, you'll interpret everything in life around one of those two things, your personal feelings, your personal experience, your personal views, or the character of God. Instead of feelings driving us 
we must consider who God is, the attributes of God. We see we often allow our experiences to interpret God for us, but instead we really need to ask God to interpret our experiences for us. T- take just two seconds and look at the screen. Because I want to say this again to you, you will build your life upon one of those two things. Either how you feel about a certain situation or subject, or you'll build your life upon the character of God. Habakkuk starts calling out here in verse 12, the the, the characteristics of God, the attributes of God. He's going to remember God's character in the middle of crazy. The first thing that he sees is that God is eternal. You see that in verse 12, oh God, you're, you're from everlasting In other words, God is outside of the influence of history. He's not subject to history. He creates history. It is God who is outside of time. So he uses that word out there in verse 12. God, you are everlasting. We can just interpret that word as God, you are eternal. Just because something is out of your hand does not mean it's out of the hand of God. Because he is from everlasting to everlasting. The second thing that that Habakkuk realizes about God is that God is holy. He says here these very personal words. You are my holy one. You see that in verse 12? My holy one. Habakkuk is sure that God is is utterly and absolutely and perfectly right. Habakkuk is saying by saying you're my holy one that there is no one like God. There is no equal to God. There is no one like you. God is pure, not impure. God is good, not evil. So Habakkuk has to rest upon that. It makes that a, a bedrock of his faith. God, you're my holy one, but in that, do you see that, that personal possessive pronoun, you are my holy one. In fact, right before that, he says, you are my God, my holy one. So the third thing you can write down is that God is personal. This is the character of God. Habakkuk uses a very intimate term. God, you are my God. You are my holy one. I know you. I love you. I am in a relationship with you. You are my God. For those who are Christ followers here today, those who are in Christ Jesus, God is not some force. He's your father. Personal, known, intimate. Habakkuk remembers God's character also in in this, that God is a judge. Same verse, verse 12. Lord, you, you have ordained the Chaldeans as judgment for us. You are the judge and you are using the Chaldeans as a judgment that you are rendering for our nation. And, and all of us in this house, we get frustrated when there is no justice. But God has already set a day when everyone will be judged. No one is getting away with anything. I, as I hear other pastors or kind of the the culture of the church in our nation today, I'm realizing that pastors are anxious or even reticent to talk about God as judge. Rarely do we sing songs or, or put a tweet out that says, man, God's, he's an all-powerful judge. We love to talk about him being loving and merciful, and he is. But let me love you enough this morning, Highland, to tell you that God is a judge a rightful judge who always makes right decisions. Let me also love you enough, everyone here, whether you're a Christian or you say that you're not a Christian, everyone in this house, we will all stand before God one day as judge. And actually, more specifically, we'll stand before Jesus because John chapter five, Jesus said, God has entrusted all judgment to me. God is is a judge. No one gives an account to the mirror. We give an account to Jesus. 
The, the fifth thing that Habakkuk remembers about the character of God, the attributes of God in the middle of crazy times, he realizes that God is almighty. The fifth thing Habakkuk knows about God is that he is a rock. You see that at the very end of verse 12, that he is one who establishes things. He is an establisher. God is absolutely all-powerful. He's sovereign in action. Not a single thing happens in this world outside of his scope. God is the absolute, if you will, personification of power itself. So here comes Habakkuk in the middle of crazy. Instead of just running to all the things he does not understand, he builds his life upon the things he does understand, the things he does know to be true. So here's the first step. You back away from the crazy. You stop and you consider the character of God. God is eternal. God was here before whatever problem our nation is going through. God is holy. He will always make the right choices. God is perfect in all of his ways. God is personal. I can know him. I can love him. I can trust him through Jesus. And he certainly knows me. He, he is judge. He won't leave injustice unpunished. The wicked will have their day in his courts. God is almighty. There's not a problem that's too big for him. Whatever your problem is, whatever problem our world is facing, whatever problem our, our nation is facing, there's no problem that's at all too big for God. God is bigger than crazy seasons. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Now Habakkuk begins to speak to God again, but now we see him complaining again. He didn't, which is kind of comforting maybe to all of us here. Sometimes we think we're doing really well, then we take two steps back. Habakkuk takes one step forward in verse 12, probably takes two steps back in verse 13. God, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? It's the same thing he said back in verse 3. Why do you idly look at wrong in verse 3? He repeats that pretty much in verse 13. Why do you just idly look at traitors? You don't do anything is what Habakkuk is saying. And then God, you remain silent when the wicked swallows up people who are more righteous than the wicked. You make mankind like the fish of the sea. Uh, in other words, in darkness... Not real sure where it's going. Is there any aim? Is there any life to a fish just in the middle of a large sea? God, that's how we feel as, as people, like fish in the sea. We feel like crawling things that have no ruler. In other words, God, we kind of feel like insects down here without any lord or master. Then he talks in verse 15 about the wicked one. In fact, in your Bible, the pronoun there, the very beginning of verse 15, might have a notation to it that Habakkuk now is speaking about wicked people or, or evil people. The, the wicked people brings all of them up with a hook. The, the wicked people drag them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, it seems like those who are wicked, they, they're, they're flourishing. They just kind of have everything by the hook. They gather anything in. They rejoice. They're so glad with all that they have, but they're wicked, God. Verse 16, therefore, this wicked person sacrifices or worships his net. And makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, by the wicked approach to their lifestyle, he lives in luxury. And his food is rich. Is he then just to keep emptying his net? And mercilessly killing nations forever? I mean, this is a very passionate, emotional man. Here's the second thing you can write down. What do you do when we live in crazy times? Live in reality. That's what Habakkuk was doing. He was living 
And the reality, and listen to this, church people, it's okay not to be okay all the time. Long before masks were mandated, people were wearing masks to church all the time. And one of the masks we used to wear to church, and maybe we still do under our mask, is that mask of, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm good. My family's good. My marriage is good. My kids are good. My parents are good. My grades are good. My relationships are good. My relationship with God is good. And here's really what Habakkuk is telling us. It is okay not to be okay. He is ranting. He is complaining. You see, Christianity is not a Hallmark card, and it certainly is not a Hallmark movie. Listen to the words that, that, that Habakkuk uses right here. Verse 13, he uses the word evil. And Christian, let me just say, we should not lose that word from our vocabulary. Verse 13, he says, it's wrong. We need to keep that word also, Christian. Verse 13, they're, they're, they're traitors. They're, they're wicked. Wicked things just echo Satan. Verse 15, the wicked rejoice. The wicked are glad. Verse 16, the wicked live in luxury. Verse 16, that the wicked are rich. Verse 17, and the wicked just kill without any mercy. Let me just tell you, Christian, you don't have to be fine. Habakkuk isn't fine. And that's okay. It's okay that he is sharing his heart with God. It's okay to grieve when things in your marriage, when things in your life, when things in your family, when things with grace, when things in the nation, when things in relationship are difficult. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve and to be sad during crazy times. It's okay, Christian. In fact, we of all people on the planet should live in reality. And Habakkuk was living in reality. Let me kind of give you a close cousin. Number three would be this. And I made this a personal pronoun for you to own. First person, God can handle me. I mean, Habakkuk, is, is, he's wired up at this point. He is amped. He is very passionate. He's a very emotional prophet, a very emotional person. And you may be also. So let me just tell, tell you, everyone who's here today who seems to be emotional at times, you're never going to surprise God. He knows we will never bring new information to him. We don't go to God to inform him. We go to God to invite him. To invite him into our mess. To invite him into our lives. To invite him into our crazy. Let me just say, there may be some here today and you're just a hot mess right now. I mean, every relationship you have is, is a mess. Your heart feels like it's a mess. Some here today that you have so many doubts about God, so many questions that you would have of God. Maybe many here today, you're frustrated with God. Let me just say this. God can handle you. To the most emotional person at Highland today, you don't overwhelm God. The cross of Jesus is not flimsy. It can hold you and your questions. Habakkuk chapter 2 Verse 1, I love this. Habakkuk says, I'll take my stand. I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And I will look out to see what he, meaning God, will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now Habakkuk gives us a really good pattern right here, church. Here's what, here's what all of chapter 1 is, if you will, up to this point in chapter 2. Habakkuk is talking to God. He's complaining to God. He's asking why there's evil in the world. He's asking why the wicked, well, wicked, wicked, prosper. And then number four, here's our fourth thing. Then he listens to God. That's what I would say to you if you're in the middle of crazy. Listen to God. 
Look at verse one. Habakkuk says, I'm going to post up. I'm going to wait right here. And I'm going to listen for the answer of God. I'm going to listen for the voice of God. I wonder how often we ask God-sized questions and we look to human-sized people to answer. And here comes Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to wait right here for you, God. I want answers, but God wants a relationship. Habakkuk says something we probably all need to say sometimes. Okay, God, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to start listening. And as you notice, I don't, want to, I don't want to over-preach this, but I also don't want to under-preach this. Did you notice what he did? He went to a high place. He went up, verse 1, to a watch post. He stationed himself on a tower, and then he was looking out to see what God was going to say to him. Again, I don't want to over-preach this nor under-preach this, but sometimes you need a new, higher perspective to kind of move to, to a new place and kind of see God with, with new eyes. To get out from, from the mess and to step up. Here's good news, Christians. God has already set us in heavenly places. For us to see this world, for us to see this life, for us to see this nation from a higher perspective. All throughout scripture, God's people would move to a higher place to see what God was doing. Abraham moved up Mount Moriah to see what God was doing. Moses moved up Mount Oreb to see what God was doing. Peter, James, and John moved up Mount Transfiguration to see what God was doing. In fact, when Jesus left this earth, he left from a mountain. When he comes back, he's going back to that same mountain. Sometimes we just need a new perspective. Habakkuk is doing that. He's saying, I will, I'm going to move to a new place, God, and I'm going I'm to listen. I'm going to wait for you to speak to me. Did you see that in verse 2? I'm going to see what you say to me. That's in verse 1. This is why I love verse 2. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me. I underline that in my Bible. You don't have to, but you can if you want to be a strong Christian. Just underline those things very quickly in there. And the Lord answered me because here is Habakkuk. He's waiting. God, I have talked way too much. I have complained way too much. I have ranted way too much. Now I'm going to be quiet for a while and I'm going to listen. I love that the very next verse is, and the Lord answered me. The Lord spoke to me. And look what God says. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What does God have? A vision. A plan. In fact, he says it 11 times in these two verses. He speaks of this vision 11 times times trying to get into our thick skulls I have a plan for you now the big picture plan that Habakkuk is speaking of is the coming of Jesus Christ but the principle is still the same for every Christian here today God has a vision God has a plan let's just count these 11 times real quick Uh, verse 2 write the vision number one make it the vision plain on tablets so he may run who reads it the vision for still the vision number four awaits its appointed time five the vision hastens to the end the vision will not lie if the vision seems slow wait for the vision the vision will surely come the vision will will not delay. God has a plan. He never, never stops working. Here's what God is saying. It's not on your time. It's on my time. So trust me in the meantime. It is my plan, not your plan. It is my vision. It might seem slow in verse three. Just wait for it. 
The plan I have for your life will surely come. That plan will not delay. The old school preachers, I'm talking about Charles Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield would always or often would use this illustration. And I've heard it so many times before. I imagine almost everyone in this house, you've heard this illustration before, but it's just perfect. He talks about a craftsman weaving a tapestry. And to weave a a large tapestry, you need a loom. And if you've ever seen someone put together tapestry on a loom, you see that there's threads that come in from from all directions, and those threads are, are tied at the bottom. And if you were to look underneath the loom, you would see no beauty, no symmetry, no plan, no intentionality. Underneath the loom, that tapestry just looks like chaos. A lot of knots here, a lot of frayed threads here. No beauty, no symmetry, no artistry, no intentionality. But once you look on the other side of that loom, and you see the top of that tapestry, even though there's chaos underneath, the top of it is beauty and craftsmanship and symmetry and intentionality. Here's what Spurgeon would always say at the illustration at this point. We live life under the loom. Right now, all we see is chaos. Right now, all we see is crazy and we wonder, is there, is there a craftsman somewhere that's actually making something intentional in my life, something beautiful in my life, something with symmetry in my life? We live life under the loom. God sits above it. At present, we don't see the work that God is doing, yet he promises us here there is a vision. It will hasten to the end. That vision will not lie. It may even seem slow for you, Highland, but wait for God's plan. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 and we'll land this plane. Behold his soul is puffed up. Talking about the wicked person. The person who is not righteous. In fact Habakkuk even says it is not upright within him. Meaning his soul. The wicked person has a soul and that soul is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. This is a very famous scripture. So famous that Paul explains our salvation by using this verse in Romans chapter 1. Paul uses this verse to explain our salvation in Galatians chapter 3. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews uses this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 to explain our salvation. The, the, the soul of the wicked is puffed up. It's not even upright. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. If you're taking notes today, here's the fifth thing to do when you live in crazy times. You trust God until you see God. You trust God until you see God. You don't trust just what you see. You trust that God sees everything that you don't see. That's how you live in crazy times. You don't trust just in what you think. Don't trust the things you just think you know. Trust in the one who knows all things. That's why he is called here almighty. Trust God until you see God. You see, here's what I'm asking us to do, Helen. Let's trust that he is doing the work until the work is done. Let's trust that what God is doing, he is doing correctly. He is doing rightly. He is doing for, for our story, for our good, for his glory. Until we see all that God has done. That's how you survive reality. That's how you survive a crazy world. You see, really, it's less 
well, if God is good, why is there evil? And it's more, God is good and there is evil. But through Jesus, you can know him, trust him, love him. I think that's how you survive in a world that's gone crazy. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you have said to us today. We show up to church on Sunday morning, gathered with your people to hear what you say. We come online to hear what you say to us through your word. We're tired of all the other talking heads. And God, honestly, at times we're tired of hearing our own voices. We just need to listen to you, a God who gives answers. God, what mercy it is that you can handle us. What mercy it is that the cross of Jesus is not flimsy. It can hold our doubts, our questions, our emotions, our passions. God, what mercy that you answer us when we come to you. What mercy that you forgive sin. What mercy that we can know you in the middle of crazy, crazy times. God, we thank you for your word that's come to us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher today, for guiding us into the truth of this word. God, we now worship you in spirit and in truth for being a God who hears us, who answers us, a God who has a plan, a God who has a vision, even when we do not see it. What great mercy. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed to the Father. In the name of Jesus, we've been in your word In the name of Jesus, we pray. And now in the name of Jesus, we sing. Amen.